Why do you act the way you do? Why do you talk the way you talk? Are they conscious decisions or simply a reflection of whatever everyone else in your world says and does? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran and welcome to Bible 805. We often don't give everyday actions or words much thought, but in our podcast today we're going to look at the book of Proverbs and why we so desperately need it in our post-Christian, post-biblical world. First of all, let's get oriented to where we are. We're reading through our Bible, and we're in the book of Proverbs. Now, if you're following along on the yearly Bible reading, that's great. If not, this podcast is still a very important one for you to listen to, because I think it's going to help you identify why maybe some of the things that are going on in your life, especially if you're a Christian, may not be happening exactly how you want them to happen, or not exactly what you expected when you became a Christian. Now, the book of Proverbs will really help us understand these things. To cover everything that's important, I'm going to be doing two podcasts on Proverbs. This first one is entitled Proverbs, Why It Is Needed in a Post-Christian, Post-Biblical World, and then the next one, Proverbs, Practical Advice for a Post-Christian, Post-Biblical World. Well, first of all, let's look at why we need Proverbs overall. It's obvious in anything in our material world that the maker of something knows what it's designed for and how it will function best. An obvious example is a car comes with an operator's manual and with the advice that you need to make the car run well. You change the oil, you do preventive maintenance, you use this kind of gasoline, oil, whatever, this is what you put in the tires. Now, if you do these things, you'll have a much greater chance of your car lasting and serving you well than if you run it without ever changing the oil or checking the fluids or if you try to use diesel instead of regular gas. Now that's pretty obvious but we forget that our lives kind of run in the same way that we really need to look at the operator's manual which of course is the Bible given to us by our creator that really tells us the best way to live. It's for the best running of our souls and we need to pay attention to it. Now, we need to next look at why Proverbs is especially important today in a post-Christian, post-biblical world. Now, please bear with me. This is really important, what I'm going to be discussing. It isn't just philosophical, sort of psychobabble or whatever. It's an exploration of the thought shifts, that have the changes in thought patterns that have taken place in our world. We often hear that term post-Christian or whatever thrown around, but what does that really mean? What does that mean to you and your kids and the way you live? What this is talking about is this is talking about a huge change in the default way of thinking in our world. And this influences us much more than we can even imagine. What I mean by the default settings of how we think, this is sort of the the baseline, the, the factory settings, the default settings, whatever you want to call it. This is how we think if we're not conscious that we're thinking that way. Uh, what I mean by that is this is just how you react. Someone says something to you, does something, whatever. We oftentimes react without thinking based on how what we've internalized is the right way to do the, something or the wrong way. Now, we really need to understand what these are, what our society has sort of decided for us before we can have control over it. The current way that our world operates, the current, you might say, default setting, 
Christians are what we call post-Christian. And I would add that it also a very important description is that they are post-biblical. Now I'm going to take some time to explain this. Again, please listen carefully because this is so important and I find that a lot of Christians don't even realize that this shift has taken place. And because of that, there is a tremendous amount of misunderstanding with the Bible and how they believe that God should be treating them. There are so many problems because Christians have wrong expectations of what God should do for them. Now, without getting into some of the specifics on that, let's look at this whole issue in more depth and how it will then apply to us. I don't think anyone would describe our world today, the world that we get in the media, the news, etc., as having a Christian viewpoint. Obviously, that isn't there anymore. But it isn't just in the big political, secular world where the shift away from a default Christian view that's that's pretty obvious, but that's not as much my concern. What I really want us to look at in this podcast and the next one is how in the most personal, character-based actions of our lives, where we need to be aware of this shift for us personally and how it influences how we live our life. Now, it let me just give you an example. It doesn't take a real astute philosophical analysis to see that in our world today, sexual fidelity, sexual faithfulness is no longer a value or even an expectation. Now, that's obviously a post-Christian, post-biblical view if anyone has read the Bible even in a summary manner. In Proverbs and many other places, it teaches sexual faithfulness and purity. But as one commentator said, um, he said, we've moved from adultery as a sin to adultery as entertainment. Now, that's nicely worded, and but it's really pretty obvious. But here's where it gets tricky. Though most church-going people still think sexual unfaithfulness is a sin, but it's the other areas of life, the day-to-day areas, such as some that I'm going to list in just a minute. This is where we have really shifted in what we think is correct and biblical behavior. Let me give you some examples. Now, in our world today, what do you think the default settings of our response should be when these things happen? When you disagree with someone, when you don't like someone, when someone makes you angry, when you're around people who just don't get it in whatever area you think you know more than they do. Now, our world today answers these situations by responding in these ways. Number one, dominate the interaction. I won't even call it a conversation, but whatever, you know, if you disagree, you don't like someone, you dominate. You yell, you accuse, you name call. If you can't talk directly to the person, you create a blistering tweet storm, if that's your preference. You malign motives, character, actions if you're angry. Overall, it's a sort of an I'm always on stance. And it's an attitude that foundationally believes that I am the most important entity in the room, or at least the most clever and entertaining person in the room. It's my thoughts, my feelings, my passions. These are what matter. I want to do it my way because I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. And in addition to that, no matter what the situation, even if you aren't angry, all verbal interactions, as far as you are able, need to be done in a witty 
and often snarky manner that not only destroys other people, but it is eminently entertaining. Now, I think that, of course, not everybody reacts like this all the time, but I think we would be hard-pressed to disagree with the idea that this is the default conversational tone of much of our world today. It's angry, it's snarky, it's unkind, it is above all, it's me, me, me centered. And we excuse this behavior because we say, well, that's just how people are, that's, that's how people act today. The more entertaining, in fact, the snarkiness or the wittiness or whatever, the more likes it's going to get. We don't even think about interacting like this as being what we call sin. It's all justified because I, the big I, the big me, the person that if you have been raised in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years or so, you've been told that you are the most important thing, that you are wonderful, you are perfect, you can do no wrong, and you believe it. Um, And all you have to do to know what's right or wrong is to listen to your inner self. And then your inner self will tell you what is the best way to live. And nothing matters more than you listening to that, affirming your feelings and how valuable you are. Now Proverbs, of course, disagrees with that. Proverbs, first of all, says that I, the big me, the big ego, is not the source of what should define my life and behavior. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the message puts it this way. It says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Now, regardless of the translation, the source of our life and what guides us, what should influence the tone of our conversations and the tenor of our entire life is God. Now, I want to say just a little bit about this little phrase, fearing the Lord, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I heard some Christians actually discussing this the other day. Someone brought up that word, and then they're very quick to add, well, well, you know, when we say fear, we don't really mean fear. We mean reverence and awe and all that. And I was kind of thinking about it, and I thought, well, I don't know. I think fear sometimes means fear. Fear in in really sort of a good sense, not terror, but having a realistic awe, a realistic respect that God is God, and that that healthy respect is appropriate. In an earthly sense, of course, we really pay attention to people, to their commands, or we respect, or in some cases fear them, based on our relationship to that person. For example, we will literally show more fear or respect to perhaps an employer who controls our life and our paycheck versus the person we meet in line at the grocery store, although I would trust that we have the same kindness and courtesy to both. Now, how this applies in the spiritual realm is that, sadly, today there are so many people, even in the church, even on Christian uh, things that you hear in, online or podcasts or some different things, where there's just a tremendous amount of flippant and what might be termed really overly familiar and irreverent talk either to and about God. And I just do not think that that is appropriate. When we look at the book of Proverbs, it's not simply advice for spiritual people that are wimpy and need something to control their life. No, the words in Proverbs come from God Almighty. 
the Creator who made heaven and earth, and before whom all of us live, and before whom we will be judged, and who has commanded us to obey His word. I truly can't help but feel that perhaps a little bit more fear, of course, really in reverence and awe, would help us do and do the things that we maybe really ought to do and help our world be a little bit better. When I look at our world today, I can't help but think of the book of Judges and the horrors of what happened when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We don't want that. We need a source outside ourselves. And God Almighty, who created our wonderful world, has stooped to give us his word. We really ought to pay attention to it. So it's that's what it means when we talk about living in a post-Christian world. That that sort of thing just doesn't matter when people look at their behavior anymore. Now, I want us to also drill down a little bit more into this term post biblical as well as the term post-Christian. We can see how we don't as a whole in society look to Christian norms, but here's where it's particularly disturbing. Post-biblical is a view that is not only happening out there in the secular world, but it is rampant, I think, in the church today. Now, what I'm going to say in the next few minutes is probably going to offend a lot of people, and I apologize for the offense, um, but I feel that this is really important for you to understand. And this is a podcast. You are listening to it quietly by yourself. You can completely ignore it. You can yell at me or whatever in the comfort of your room, but please listen carefully to some of the things that I want to say, because I, one of, the, one of my, the things that upset me most in my Christian life, and I've, I've lived a long time, and in as I look back to my experiences, is I look at some huge mistakes that I made in the past, and one of the reasons that I made those mistakes, and it wasn't all, I take responsibility ultimately for them, is I got really bad advice from a Christian person who said, this sort of behavior is okay, and it wasn't. And I didn't check it out. But it wasn't okay, and this person led me astray. And I've never forgotten that. And although I I believe in my heart that I've forgiven that person, I do not want to be guilty of that. There are some trends that are going on in our world today, even in the church, even among Christians, and it breaks my heart. And as a person who has been given, even in a very limited and tiny way, um, a group of people to speak to, I I hope that I'm going to be speaking the, the truth in love when I go into some of these things that we need to be really careful of and be concerned about as believers. So let me talk about what I mean by a post-biblical worldview. And that worldview then uh, results, of course, in a post-biblical lifestyle. Now, what I have seen is that this can happen to a person who labels themselves as a Christian. And only, of course, the Lord knows the true state of their heart. But a a person can be post-biblical, even though they may have sincerely trusted Jesus for their personal salvation. They go to church, they tithe, they serve, but who in their day-to-day actions do not live according to the Bible. Now, how can you say, well, how can a real Christian do that? Well, the sad reason is not because of blatant or even willful or even knowledgeable disobedience. They just don't know what the Bible says. 
And so they operate in what I previously discussed as the default settings of the post-Christian world. They think it is perfectly okay to get horribly angry at someone if they do the, the least little thing and that they are always first and so many different attitudes and things like that. They see absolutely nothing wrong with it. Now, this uh, there are many, many situations that this comes up in from the way people uh, treat others in their marriage, their families, to the church in many ways not really having a singular voice in society anymore. How does this happen? Well, this is my analysis. Again, take it or leave it. What I see happening again and again is a person makes an emotional decision to quote-unquote ask Jesus into their heart or some similar action. Now, we might say, oh, well, that's very nice. Well, is it really? If the person does not understand what they were doing or if those words really had no meaning. Jesus makes some very strong statements about what it means to follow him. If you do not take up your cross and follow me, and the cross was a symbol of death. He said, you can't be my disciple if you don't forsake everything. And I, I, you know, just to clarify, I don't think that means leave all of your tangible, earthly, whatever. But in your heart of hearts, are you forsaking anything to follow him or is Jesus just this added goody sort of the one last insurance policy that you need so you don't go to hell um, I, you know that kind of commitment isn't a real great beginning if you want to live a biblically based life and then because that basic decision is based on emotion and it's not a true biblical recognition of the importance of recognizing sin in their life of recognizing that God is just in judging it, that there is an eternal penalty to pay, but at the same time that in his immeasurable grace that we did not earn or deserve and we can't do anything to earn or deserve it, but by the death of Jesus and our acceptance of his death on the cross in our place that we have forgiveness from God, we have his love, we have an eternal relationship with him. And part of that relationship is that he expects us to grow as his disciples through the study of his word and in community with his people. But if we don't have that biblical understanding, people often look at God as, well, I bought into the God thing, and now God is supposed to shower me with goodies. And everything is supposed to go really well, and I'm supposed to be well off financially, and I get all the best parking places, and the best seats on airlines, and some of these sorts of things that are actually pre by some preachers, but what happens when that same person loses their job or their health or a relationship or when things don't go as planned? Well, it's pretty obvious and we've all seen this and maybe it's, it's happened to us. We get angry with God and people decide it isn't worth following him anymore. Or if they do stay at church, they become bitter, angry, disappointed, and they are people who remind everyone of how much they've suffered and how bad they feel and that they have a right to feel this way and nobody else really understands. Nothing could be further from the biblical truth of how we should respond 
in difficult times. The Bible teaches us that difficult times can give us opportunities to grow in our faith and trust in God, that they can discipline and refine us. And why don't all Christians have that biblical view? How did this confusion in thinking in the church come about? Well, there are two parts to answer this. The first one is the secularization of the default worldview. Now, I'm, I'm, bear with me again while I explain this. And then secondly, the retreat from the church, in the church, from the Bible. Now, first of all, the secularization of the default worldview. You see, that used to be, by and large, very biblical. Now, this is an expansion of how we got to the whole post-Christian thing, but in the past, there was an underlying biblical Christian view of the world, and it was shown by these actions, and they were, you know, maybe 50 years or so ago, but I'm old enough to remember them well. First of all, you could pray in school. I remember as a little kid, we uh, this one school we attended in Georgia, my father was in the military, is we would actually say a blessing in our class. This was a secular school. Before we would go have lunch, our teacher would pray for us. The Bible was studied in many areas. Its truth was understood as a foundation for much of science. Now, not just, you know, evolu- versus evolution or whatever, but just that, you know, we served a God of order and consistency, and there was just a biblical grounding of that in the sciences, in philosophy, and art. Uh, it was accepted that the Bible described how people were supposed to live. Leaders were evaluated based on biblical standards. There were public and private standards and expectations undergirding the norms of society, expectations of integrity, truthfulness, kindness, honesty. Now, of course, there was sometimes abuse by people that called themselves Christians, but when someone did something wrong, they were called out on it. People were reminded of it. Even if they didn't care or they disobeyed, there were certain norms that were in place. Now, all of this is gone. I don't, I don't need to tell you that. Um, perhaps there are some holdouts, but by and large, we do not have these same expectations, this same undergirding of society. Now, that was all, that's all pretty obvious, and that has to do with the post-Christian thing. But what's really upsetting to me, and I've, I've been able to just kind of identify and sort this out over the last few years, is the church. The second thing that's really important is the church itself, in large measure, has retreated from the Bible. Let me explain what I mean. And again, this is not everyone. There are many exceptions, but this is what I've seen in many, many instances. The whole idea of reading your Bible on a daily basis with an encouragement to read through the Bible, the entire Bible, regularly and to study it deeply is seldom, seldom encouraged in the church today. I don't think that this has happened because of necessarily bad or evil motives or anything like that. Sometimes it's been a reaction against a real legalistic, read your Bible every day or else, sort of thinking that magically then you're going to be a different person. And some pastors, some leaders grew up with that. They don't want their followers to have a guilt-based view of reading the Bible. However, if they then avoid all encouragement to regular Bible reading and study, they forget 
that they've grown up with an ingrained biblical foundation, and guilt-based or not, they have it, but their followers may never get that because of the leader's faulty attitudes towards the Bible. The result is then that the Bible is used in many churches as a proof text for self-help topics. How it will help me, how it will make my life better, how it will improve my marriage, how it will reset my bad attitudes. Or there's, there's just all kinds of things. And those aren't bad topics. But it, you see, the Bible is not read as a book that will shape my behavior not used to just support what I want it to be, but that will help me also be obedient to God, even that, even if that isn't exactly what I want to do. Now, how are these two things, the sort of post-Christian and the post-biblical combined? Well, you see, in the past, now think about this, society as a whole, the school, public morals, underlying standards, all of that did a lot of what I might call the heavy lifting in permeating people's behavior with biblical values. You couldn't help but absorb biblical truth when your teachers prayed, when you read the Bible in literature class, when you studied the Bible respectfully and philosophically, when the Bible was used as a standard for behavior. You couldn't help but internalize a lot of that. But you see, we do not have that anymore. It's all changed because the Bible has been taken out of these areas. You won't learn biblical values in school, in the media, or society as a whole. And so how how did the church respond? Sadly, it has not been to ramp up engagement and encouragement for people to read their Bible, study them, and fully engage with, with God's Word in every area of life. Some churches, yes, they have, and in some parts of some churches, but in most in most churches today, and I'm talking about good Bible-centered churches, they think, what they, that's what they would call themselves in conservative churches, the Bible study has been, or the Bible interaction, I should say, has been reduced to a 20-minute sermon on Sunday morning. Again, just consisting usually of proof texts that, as one popular television preacher says, will help you live your best life now. Some other results that we see in many churches, many churches no longer have Sunday school classes or really encourage structured, systematic study of the Bible, particularly for adults. They may have some stuff for children, but they don't have any kind of adult program. Many small groups have become primarily sharing or almost lay counseling groups, not really involved in serious study of the Bible, maybe a few little things here or there, or they will read a popular book by some popular Christian speaker and they'll discuss that and then spend the majority of the time talking about the troubles in their life and getting praying for one another etc. Now I don't that sounded really cynical and forgive me here I am um, reverting to the snarky attitudes of the world and I, I don't mean to because it just really makes me sad. There is a place for that. There is a need for us to get with other believers and to pray together to talk over our problems but That should be in addition to, not in place of, serious Bible study. Another thing that is kind of subtle in the whole shift away from Bible study and having a biblical worldview is many Christian groups and churches do a lot of outreach and service events. Now these can be wonderful things, feeding the poor and outreach to the homeless and going on even on mission trips or just you know doing things for the community those things are they're wonderful wonderful things to do and i'm not saying they aren't but 
Why are you doing that? What makes them different than a secular service organization? Again, they're important, but they should be in addition to, they should be an outgrowth from a biblical worldview, not something that we do in place of that. Many worship services today emphasize emotion and experience, again, rather than Bible teaching and challenge. And many of the churches that do these things that I've talked about, they're growing like crazy. Um, There's really no demand on people. Uh, You're supposed to be be hopeful and upbeat and never condemning and never challenging and, you know, just all these kinds of things. And again, I don't want to sound cynical, but if people come to these churches and have not grown up reading the Bible, studying the Bible, where do they learn it? Where do they develop a biblical worldview? And how can we expect them to live according to it? There's no wonder then that many churches today have so many pastoral problems, behavioral problems with people because the Christian life then doesn't produce all the goodies that people expect and they get frustrated and upset and mad at the church. So what is the answer? Well, the answer is you are primarily responsible for developing your own biblical and Christian worldview. You can't count on your world or even on your church to do it for you. I pray that you go to churches that do take studying God's word seriously. But even if they do, you can always learn more on your own. So you have to be responsible. Start by simply reading your Bible consistently every day and all the way through. Now here on Bible 805 on the website www.bible805.com I have a reading plan that you can join us with. We're reading through the entire Bible this year and I'm doing commentary on it. You can start at any time, just jump right in or you can go back to the beginning and and you can listen to the podcast on, on Genesis and Job and how we started out. Whatever you do, do something to get into the Word every day. Use a good study Bible because things like the Life Application Bible or there's just lots of different good study Bibles. One that gives you an introduction to the particular book that you're studying and has good commentary and cross-references on it. Finally, in summary, the default thinking that guides our individual and corporate behavior today is both post-Christian and post-biblical. Because of that, we must take personal responsibility to develop a biblical Christian mindset. We can do that in committing to a continual intake of God's Word. We need to do that overall, but in the little details of life where our lives are formed. This is where Proverbs can help us. We're finally back to Proverbs. Um, It's in, again, those details that are so important. You're probably familiar with this quote, sow a thought and you reap an action, sow an act and you reap a habit, sow a habit and you reap a character, sow a character and you reap a destiny. Proverbs helps us learn and then incorporate into our lives that progression of thoughts, actions, and habits that are based on a biblical, godly character. Those are the things that will help us live a life that is pleasing to God and is really a joy to us and to the people that are around us. 
In our next podcast, we're going to take selected Proverbs, of course, we can't go through all of them, and we're going to talk about how, uh, we'll, we'll take, for example, an instance of when something happens in our world, a situation or an attitude or whatever, then we will suggest how people in a post-Christian, post-biblical world might respond, but then we'll look at Proverbs, and we will see how we might respond differently if we are living according to Proverbs. And then we'll just give some final real-life applications to those things. But that's all coming in the next podcast. That's all for now. Please do check out the notes from this lesson on www.bible805.com. And until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationships with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.